0: Welcome to Comedians Talking Baseball, our weekly MLB recap podcast with myself, comedian Joe Kilgallen, and comedian Mike Bridenstine. Sit back with you, talk about the week that was in Major League Baseball, also nerd on some stats, talk about the game's history, and just have ourselves a good old time. Bridenstine, how are you, my man? Hi, Joe.
1: What's up, listeners?
0: <laughs> I like the energy already. Uh, fresh out the gate, my friend. We uh, This is May 6th, 2018. We're recording this. So this marks 20 years since Kerry Wood, a 20-year-old out of Texas, pitching only his fifth major league start for the Chicago Cubs, did what was the unthinkable at the time, still is the unthinkable, tying a major league record that Roger Clemens had done twice before of 20 strikeouts in one game. Now, you and I are both Cubs fans. We try not to have a bias, but we do have a little bit of a bias, as you should in sports. But when we do this baseball podcast, I hope fans of all teams can enjoy it. But right now, you and I have to get a little bit... um, I don't know. We're going to geek out a little bit. We're going to become a couple homers. Let me start off by asking you this, Mike. Do you remember where you were when this game was on? Did you catch it on
1: TV? I was a senior in high school. And so, first of all, that means that Carrie Wood is 40, which still seems young, right? It does. It does. Yeah, I I can't believe he's 40. But we
0: forget he retired what six years ago in 2012 at the age of 34.
1: Man, that is a career. He could have been Clemens. They could have pumped him full of
0: Can I Can I pump your brakes on that? Because I want to get to that. Okay. Because I watched the documentary. The Cubs released the documentary simply called 20. They released it on their Facebook page. It's produced incredibly well. It was produced by it said like in partnership with Budweiser and you know they just sponsored it, probably throwing the money for it. But I kinda like the idea of Major League Baseball teams putting out their own content like that. Yeah, you know, we're in a digital age now. You and I are podcasting from across the country. Yep. So it's it's exciting. And I, I like that the Cubs did this. And I'm kind of hoping they could do more and more fun stuff like this and other teams as well.
1: Let's so, uh, uh let's link that to our Facebook page so people can
0: Yes, I will do that. As soon as we're done recording, I will do it. Definitely link that I'll, I'll tweet it out as well. You're right. We should, you know let's I'm going to try to get better with the social media. You and I both have been a little bit more active with promoting the podcast, taking ownership in the podcast, being proud of the podcast. I I want people to listen to this. And that's why every week I kind of say, Hey, I'm figuring out how to make the sound quality the best it could possibly be. And we're going to get to the point, you know, it's still, it's early season for us. It's, it's May. We're 20 games into the season or 30 games. in, I should say, we didn't even we're getting there training. We did not have spring training. This is still our spring training. But I'm telling you people, by June, this can going to be a smooth listen.
1: Listen, right now we're Shohei Otani in spring, and now we're going to be Shohei Otani in Japan.
0: <laughs> or in freaking Anaheim, man. That or, got in fire.
1: or in Anaheim, the Japan of Los Angeles.
0: It really is good sushi in Orange County. That's what it's known
1: for. <laughs> <laughs> They're known for Portillo's and Japan.
0: Yeah, and that's Berry Farm. All right, let's talk about the Kerry Wood thing. Though I, I, I know you're going with the whole he could have been this, he could have been that, and the documentary gets to that and it actually kind of teared me up a little bit because I was such a diehard fan of Kerry Wood, still am, and I got we have some stories there. But you were a senior in high school when you watched that game. I was in seventh grade, so I don't want to make you feel bad. Uh, or, or, I'm a little younger than you.
1: Well, I'll never forget it. Hang on, though, Joe. The listeners are probably going to want to know, this is a pitching po- uh, documentary. Did you finish it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, you got me with that one. Uh, those of you who have been following the podcast, I think in episode one or two, I brought up the documentary Fastball, which is on Netflix. Highly recommend. And I did not watch the whole thing, so I was talking it on my ass because I just watched the first 40 <laughs> minutes. I did the whole thing where I watched the first 40 minutes, fell asleep, even though it was really great. I think I was just tired when I popped it in sometimes i do that i'll it'll be like 1 a.m and i'm like i should go to bed and then i'm like you know what i'm stupid who cares about to be up for five hours with my one-year-old i'm gonna watch one more thing and it's always something really interesting and then i end up dozing off even though i'm having a good time watching it but i figured i'm like it's about a fastball i get it fastballs they're fast they're incredible i get it i felt like very jerry seinfeld you know we understand they move very fast we're
1: talking about fastballs let's move yeah. faster
0: What's the deal with the two-seamer or the four-seamer? How about a three-seamer, you know?
1: Why is this movie moving like an off-speed?
0: <laughs> oh, that one's a cutter, huh? Does it cut? <laughs> I guess it does. I kind of ran out of steam with that last one there. All apologies. Nirvana song. Though, I'll say this, though. So, I'm a little younger than you, but I actually did watch the whole Carrywood Wood documentary. Um, I want to get to where I was, though. We'll go back and forth with our own experiences with it. Okay. I remember being 13, coming home from school. You know, I got out of school at 2.30. I lived 13 houses from my grade school. It was right down the street. So I got home at 2.32. And my dad, normally he would have been at work, but I think he had something going on, so he was going into work late. Because I remember him leaving shortly after I got home. And he worked for Chicago Park District. And he was like, you got to check this kid out. He's got like 11 Ks after four innings or whatever the number was. And he looked at his stuff. is unbelievable right now. And I go, oh, cool. And Kevin Wood was already hyped. I remember watching his first start. On a Sunday at my grandma's house, like at a family function and it was against Montreal and everyone being like, wow, there was 98 or whatever. They didn't even have the radar gun at the time, you know? Uh-huh. And so I, I then was glued to the TV. I just sat there watching everyone. And as the K's were getting up, you know, in the left field bleachers, every time a strikeout, they did these special K's that were made up. And. Before we go back to your experience, this part was crazy to me. In the documentary, they showed the guy who was obsessive, like a real passionate guy. They had his son. The guy, since has died, but they had his son in the documentary talking about his dad and why the how the K's came about. And it was basically there were two broken bats made the letter at the K, and then put a ball between it. It's a really cool design. I don't know if you remember it, or, or at least cool for 1998 as far as graphic design goes. I don't. know if <laughs> I'm, sure would, I'm sure someone today would be like, "It's kind of corny," um, but I do you remember this. Uh, in the in that row of people holding up the case signs, there were a lot of people wearing NBA jerseys. Oh yeah, 'cause think, the Bulls
1: the Bulls were the shit in ninety eight. The thing
0: was there was no one wearing a Bulls jersey though. The Bulls were the shit in ninety eight. They won um their third title for, for the second time in the row. They repeated the yeah. repeat. Yeah. And it was Michael Jordan's last season. So this was May sixth, ninety eight, so the Bulls were in the middle of that playoff run. And I remember men wore basketball jerseys back then. I was well, I was in grade school, so we all I remember I had a uh, I had a Shaquille O'Neal Orlando Magic jersey. I had a Sean Kemp's uh, C- uh, Seahawks. Seattle, uh, uh Sonic's jersey. Yeah. I don't know why I said Seahawks. I, of course, I had several Jordan jerseys. I had the black, the red, and a gold one for the 50-year NBA anniversary. Anyhow, the, I didn't know it at the time, but I remember seeing that in all the highlight videos I've been seeing the last couple weeks going, Oh, yeah, man, 90s style. It was weird. Grown men wearing NBA jerseys. <laughs> there was something to that. Every NBA jersey they were wearing... Was 34. It was one group of guys who wore 34s, oh, and okay. they did that on purpose because Wood was number 34, and they were saying he was going to be the next great number 34.
1: That's isn't it?
0: Yeah. That's insane. I had no idea, and that actually makes it really cool to me now because they had on 134. They had Lakers 34, which was um, was that Kareem? Right, he was 34. Or was Chamberlain 34? I can't remember which one was 34. I know Magic Johnson was 32. Uh, let's see. Will oh, I got the Cubs came out in the background. That was not a good play. Uh, yeah, it doesn't matter, though. But then they had, um, Charles Barkley's 34, Phoenix Suns. Yeah. Wilt, it was, it was, was, not... uh, Wilt was
1: 13.
0: Oh, was he? He was 34, though. I thought Kareem was 33. Was Shaq 34? Uh. I think Shaq was 34. Uh,
1: Jabbar was 33. Yeah, so Shaq was 34.
0: Okay. I know it now. I got it. All good, um, but do you remember? Did you watch on TV, or did you? I missed the beginning of what you were saying. I, I, I was filling something.
1: I mean, I was a senior in high school, so like, I think that I didn't watch it. Like the only real baseball memory I have from '98 is moving into my dorm uh, that year, and people freaking out when Mark McGuire hit 62.
0: I remember that, yeah, that would have been early September, September eighth or ninth,
1: probably that whole summer was fucking bananas, if I recall correctly with but yeah that Carrie wood game to me in my in my memory of twenty years ago and being a senior and like it's it got kind of lost in the shuffle, but when I look back at it now, it's incredible to me that it wasn't. Higher on my list of my priorities back then, but then again, you know, I was coming up on graduation, man <laughs> You know, no, I, mean? I, I get it
0: and, and as a 17 18 year old dude, it's like you got some other things going on You're going to college you're discovering your body for the first time. I you get know
1: it. I I got my first pubes
0: That'd be fun. Yeah, With that blonde hair you had back then. I'm sure that was cool
1: <laughs> Yeah Getting
0: the fuzzies on the nuts, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, My voice changed. a wonderful time to be
0: 18. Well, I mean, that, to me, I don't think I ever told you how obsessed I was with Kerry Wood. I then would watch games. Kerry Wood starts, and I did this through the 2003 season, in which he was an all-star for the first time that year and was probably a top-ten pitcher in baseball. I know he loved the league of strikeouts. Always had a high walk rate. But it was incredibly tough to hit. Gave a very few hits. Opponents batting average against was always amongst the league leaders. They would led, led all baseball in that stat a few years. Uh, but he had a lot of walks. So the whip was never that particularly strong. I would hang K's in my basement. I would watch the game in my basement. And K's, like literally pieces of like computer paper. Where I just took a blue marker. I made a K. And I would do it there in front of me. So if it was backwards, K'd do backward, forward. And then I'd stick it to the wall. And then when I got into my underage drinking days, yeah, I played, I would play a drinking game around Carrie Wood starts where for each K you would down a whole beer. Are you serious? I'm serious. And I remember getting by the second inning of one game, cause I, I, I was ice house. And my <laughs> wife, my <laughs> wife now, uh, was my girlfriend at the time. This was when I was probably like 19 or 20. We've been together and I, uh, I ended, we ended up getting subway for lunch. And then went to go, you know, to my basement to watch the Cubs. And what started out hot. I think he struck out the first, like, four out of six guys or something like that. And then the third inning, he struck out someone for his fifth K. And it was against the Reds because I remember he struck out Ken Griffey Jr. on a nasty pitch. Curveball that caught the outside corner, uh, froze Griffey. And I downed the ice house. It was ice house, which was a poor choice. But that was, you know, when you're young, you're just like, it's the most alcohol and it's cheap as shit, man.
1: Oh, absolutely. There was so many Ice House nights uh, in my in the '90s for me. But here's that year the Cubs went to the postseason, and I and I watched it with friends, and we had to drink a beer every half inning. And I remember thinking that was insane. So what you did, although technically safer. Because it's not a guaranteed 18 beers? <laughs>
0: Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, that is true. You're a guaranteed 18. I did not. Yeah. I, and, uh, but here's the thing. I projectile vomited for the first time in my life. That's wow. what I'm getting at with this. And that's why I mentioned the subway. Because all of a sudden I finished oh. it. And I had to sprint to my bathroom And I, it, before I got to the toilet. Because it was my basement bathroom. So it was kind of a big bathroom. And as I'm I'm going in, I'm, I have to round a little corner because I open the door and it's like long counter, bathtub, and then the toilet's like back far corner. And I hit the wall. And I remember when I was cleaning up the off the wall, there was whole pieces of turkey. I had a turkey sub that were like <laughs> you would have known that had been in someone's stomach for a good forty five minutes. <laughs> like it, it, that's how clear the. Tar- I remember looking at this, going, "This just looks like turkey." Like if I saw this on the ground, I'd be like, "Oh, someone dropped a piece of turkey." I wouldn't think, "Oh, this was regurgitated." And, and shot out of someone's esophagus at a lot of MPH, you know? It was it was some strong puke. What was your... Was, what was, like with fastball.
1: What was your launch angle?
0: Ooh, it was a good sharp 18 degrees, I believe.
1: Okay.
0: Here's a- launch angle, man. I, I am becoming obsessed with that. I've He's got the- this little toy bat that's my one-year-old son's that all day long, I think, damn it, if I would have just had this growing up, who knows how great I could have been. Because I, I think,
1: black, I had a lot of ground balls. You know, it's it's crazy. Even when I take... Like fantasy swings, like nobody's around, and I put my hands together and I pretend I'm a baseball player. Still, you know what I'm talking about? Do you still like
0: the it? day that I do that every day, even in the offseason. The day I stop doing that is going to be a very sad day to me. Yeah, you'll be a bum. I'll be a bum. Yeah, one of my favorite expressions. Uh, you know, Mick Betancourt.
1: Of course.
0: Yeah, it was one that he. I think he remember him quoting. It's not his, but it was something he quoted saying, uh, "You didn't stop skateboarding because you got old." You got old because you stopped skateboarding, <laughs> and I love that. It's such a cool. I, I know he didn't say it, but I remember him saying it to me. I mean, just going, "Damn, that's cool." That's I quote, the way. "Stay I, young at heart." Damn it.
1: I quote Mickey more than I probably know because he's he's a brilliant person. He writes for Law and Order.
0: Yeah, I mean not anymore, but yeah, he wrote for Law and Order for like four or five years, and then he's there's this, there's a show called The Purge. I don't know if it's out yet on USA Network that right. he's the executive producer on, and he writes right for that. And he wrote for Chicago uh, Fire for a little bit.
1: And a great comic, a great comic who's... Hilarious,
0: you know, great storyteller.
1: So, here's a fun fact about 20 Strikeout Games that I remembered just now. Can you name all four of them? You named three of them, and then you, we did not mention...
0: Max Scherzer. Correct. Two, two Roger Clemens, Max Scherzer, Kerry Wood, of course. I always felt bad for Randy Johnson because it was an extra inning game. So it doesn't count, but he did strike out 20 in nine
1: innings. Yeah, he's, well, yes. And he struck out 19 in nine innings twice.
0: Yeah. He's incredible. But what is that about? So Go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: So, when Max Scherzer struck out 20 Tigers in 2016, their manager was Brad Ausmus. When Carrie Wood struck out twenty Astros, on that team was Brad Osmus. And yeah. in ninety-six, when Roger Clemens struck out twenty tigers, one of the Tigers was Brad Osmus. So that dude has been on the losing end of three-fourths of those. That is unbelievable. Good catch. catch. He is like the Todd Lincoln at assassinations of 20 strikeout games.
0: I, I had no, that is incredible. And he's not managing anymore. And I think if you're going to hire him, you'd look into that, you know?
1: I wouldn't want to be kind of, on a team managed by Brad Osmus when Max Scherzer is up again. I'll tell you that much.
0: Max Scherzer, by the way, had 15 Ks today in six yeah. and two thirds innings.
1: Yeah, guys, when he's at his best, like, what is the guy's ceiling, you know what I mean? I feel like Carrie Wood, first of all, the one thing I always think of when I think of Carrie Wood, and I know that I've always, I've mentioned it on the show before, is that my buddy Travis, uh, who was an all-state baseball player with like a 650 batting average, who went on to play at uh, Northern Iowa, played baseball, then got drafted by the Cubs and faced Carrie Wood in spring training in the Cubs organization, and said it was the most unhittable shit he'd ever seen in his life. That's what I think of when I think of Kerry Wood, because he had some of the most ridiculous stuff in baseball history. He just had to.
0: It it was ungodly. And that was... That's another way you could judge how great you are, how great stuff is, by hearing the people who faced him. Yeah. Because I've been reading a bunch of stuff about Carry Wood, the last week leading up to this, like I know we both had the task of let's look at the greatest and most dominant games of all time. I found a bunch of quotes. Chipper Jones said
1: Carry Wood had the best stuff you'd ever seen. Then that says something because that is one of the greatest hitters of all time. Yes, and Damian Miller, who was the Cubs'
0: uh, catcher in 2003 when they went, you know, so the Bartman year, so close. Yeah, he had also caught Randy Johnson. He had caught Kurt Schilling because he was the starting catcher for the Diamondbacks. Wow. And he also was a starting catcher for the Oakland A's when they had their big three of Mulder, Zito, and Hudson. And he said, Kerry would have the best off of anyone he's seen. And it wasn't even really for debate. Because they asked him that question. They go, you've caught this guy. You've caught this guy. Who, you know. I would have said He said would before they finished the question. Oh. He was really better than Randy Johnson? Better than Curt Schilling? He goes, yes. It is really. It's, it's, and it's he's an easy number one. Not even like, oh, on certain days, maybe Randy. He goes, Randy was dominant. I'm not taking anything away from those guys. They were more consistent with their stuff. And and obviously, they had you know, their better uh, longevity, of course. But he said Wood when he was on. It was electric. And everyone used the word electric. That's, that's man. I would, it makes but, me sad, right? Doesn't it make you sad? The documentary actually ta- that's what touches I, on that.
1: That's what I was thinking about. Also, I want to say about Carrie Wood. The home run he hit in Game 7 of the NLCS in 2003 in the third inning to tie the game is maybe the craziest I've ever gone alone during a sporting event.
0: You know that same basement I threw up in I was talking about? Yeah. I was watching Game 7 in the basement because I. this was back when I was superstitious. Remember, we talked about it in a couple podcasts ago yep. about how I'm no longer superstitious. I don't believe in anymore. I anything, you know, and I've helped you through that. As yep. a fan, it's fun. I mean, if you're superstitious out there, I'm not saying don't be. If it's, if it's something you enjoy or, or whatever it gets you in the mood, fine. I, I think it is a waste of time. But I was so superstitious back then. I watched game six on the streets. I had a little TV. I was a little superstar.
1: Oh. People were all
0: over me. It was great. Because I, I brought a little... You know, portable TV, which you know, this is before people could stream stuff on their phones. Before phones had internet, I feel like no phones had internet. In Two thousand three. What am I talking about? But anyhow, I they lost, they blew that game. So I remember thinking, Nope, I'm not. I can't watch it amongst people because I was depressed. Because my friends and I we were underage, but then we went to that bar, high Tops. That was right there at Sheffield and Clark, which was you could get in there with a note from your mom that said you were twenty one. It was such a joke. I've done and, stand up there. Yeah. Oh yeah. I remember. I heard they'd done stand up there. The place closed shortly after I did stand started stand up. I think. Anyhow, everyone was in there like partying. Oh, we got tomorrow. It's gonna be great. And I remember being like, I-, I want, I don't, I want to go home. I don't feel like you should be celebrating if we just lost Game Six. And I know people were trying to be on the bright side of stuff, but I was, I was like, this sucks. And i remember I can't be around people because I thought if they lose and I'm around people and then, then someone tries to just be like, well, at least we may, I would, I would hit them, you know, I would have be, been that upset. So I was like, I'm watching at home. And you talk about going nuts by yourself when he you hits the three, uh, the home run it was a two-run shot to tie three-three. I jumped up, my head hit the ceiling. And my hat, the button on the top of my Cubs hat, put a dent in, like, the the tile part of the ceiling there, and it's still there to this
1: day. Uh, I got invited to a party across the street from Wrigley Field that I turned down because I didn't want to be around people.
0: Yeah. It's nuts what we do as baseball fans, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is. And you helped me a lot. Like, we used to not, like you like, where were you sitting when they won? Like, you got to sit there again. Like, and then my wife comes into the room and she sits in that seat. And everyone's was like, no, 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 no. Then my wife is like, what the fuck? And like, <laughs> And like, no, but okay. So he was sitting there when they, when we were winning. And then she's like, you guys are idiots. Yeah. And she's right. She is. She is right.
0: No, it's a hard thing to get over, but I really enjoy watching sports so much better now that I finally got over that.
1: It's, it's, Letting go, it's such a... It's just a weight dragging you down. And, like, you Tony robbins my life with the Cubs. But going, <laughs> because it doesn't fucking matter where you're sitting or what you're doing or anything. Like, it's just... Why do I, Why would I think that if I leave the room or something, if I don't watch, they'll win? Like, it's just dumb shit.
0: It, I was even crazier to the point where... I would think to myself. What did I have for breakfast? When we won game two. We lost game one. Subway. And I had Captain Crunch. Game two. I think I had pancakes. So I need to eat pancakes now. Like that's how insane I was.
1: Yeah. So. But they. But the Cubs had been through so many close calls and bullshit. That. That's how. I mean, it's a way to stay sane in that insane otherwise you're going I don't know life is a meaningless waste of time
0: No I get that but it's an ins- it's an insane way to try to stay sane but didn't you enjoy 2016 more because you weren't doing that
1: I did and I had this weird belief in them that I can't explain and that's why I hate thinking about Chris Bryant slipping as he throws to first I've never really talked about this with you I can't physically – I don't like to think about that game for some reason.
0: You know when I watch highlights of it, which I still – you know, once a week I'll go through. You know I'm on YouTube, and it suggests, hey, you want to watch this video you've seen a thousand times? I'm like, yeah, I do, YouTube. And I click on it, and it's got that Sia song playing, you know, We're Unstoppable. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I get goosebumps every time. But when they show the Chapman giving up the lead, and then they cut – there's like one video – it's actually the one view is remember the Titans. Everyone, if you're a Cub fan, or if you're a baseball fan in general, or you just like a good old fashioned YouTube hype video. Yes. Just type Cubs. Remember the Titans. It's the, remember the Titans score from like the last game in that movie when they came back and it, and it shows game seven highlights to the score. And it's, it's beautifully done. And, and when Chapman gives up the tour and Homer to Rajay Davis, they cut to the Indians announcer. Who's saying is Cleveland Destiny's child and and all this stuff like where you're like oh my oh, god LeBron. it's it's from their perspective now and it's that's they're gonna win and it's showing like sad Cubs fans and everyone's like disheveled and tears and they cut to old people in the stands like I'm gonna die now like you know <laughs> remember, LeBron? Just, remember LeBron oh yeah no it cuts to him it cuts to LeBron I actually made a shirt that says Chicago or nowhere when I moved back to Chicago from L A. Yeah. And LeBron is famously wearing a Cleveland or Nowhere shirt, which he signs with another team next year. He's going to look like a real jackass for having that shirt out there.
1: Or he's going to look really cool because he's LeBron.
0: Well, he's amazing. I know. I'm not knocking LeBron. He's fantastic. But that shirt is always going to be a part of that highlight reel of him going Cleveland or Nowhere. And if he's playing in LA next year, people are going to be like, oh, Cleveland or Nowhere or LA, you know, something like that. (laughs) Either way, I'm not knocking LeBron. He's one of the greats. So I, uh, I know what you mean, though. You, you don't like to watch that game seven or think about that game seven. When that part happens, I still get this mother. Come on, dude. And then I have to remind myself, but th- the story comes out great. That's why game yeah. seven. Yeah. You know, we, we joke talking about the greatest baseball movies. And you said the Cubs documentary, about them winning the World Series. Forget all that. The Cubs game seven. We've talked about this before. As a script would be like, look, this is great, but it's almost too amazing. It's yeah. Hollywood wouldn't buy it because it would be too perfect. But as a movie, that,
1: That's it had that moment of all is lost, and then the heroes come through, even though you thought maybe we weren't going to come through. That's the thing with baseball, though. Like, every time that we, like, we were talking about movies and stuff, and I've read baseball books uh, before, like, uh, Michael, not Michael Crichton, somebody wrote, Tom Clancy wrote a baseball book that I read. One of the famous
0: writers. No, I know you're talking about. No, no, no. Matt Christopher, and the book is called The Kid Who Only Hit Home Runs. I was in the Matt Christopher fan club. He wrote all these uh, 12 year old books about sports.
1: Well, touchdown,
0: Tommy. Good book.
1: The guy wrote a book about like the 1973 season, but he like, it's an alternate universe type of, cause he switches it. And I'm like, man, you know what happened in 1973 is when those pitchers traded wives and dogs with each other in real life. So no matter what happens in any book or movie, like real life baseball has had crazier shit.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've always I've always talked about this with friends who uh, who like sports about how I kind of feel bad for people who don't like sports is because it's the best reality television. It's yeah. real reality, and it's the best. And you can't script this stuff, and you never know what is going to happen. And there's a good chance you're going to see something you've never seen before, which is what. They, when they're in the documentary about Carrie with 20 strikeout game is they're talking to Pat Hughes. And he says, this was 20 years ago. It was last week. And though that's just something that only, I feel like only sports provide music does it too. you see a great concert or any live performance. It'll stick with you the rest of your life. But there's something about sports. Like I was saying, those hype videos that give you goosebumps, reliving the moments and even like you're even saying, you know, that game seven turns out to be this magical thing, but it's still kind of hard for you to digest. I, I
1: guess it's just mind boggling to me that 20 years ago, Kerry Wood struck out 20 guys. And that he.
0: Yeah, it is really unbelievable. I mean, and to talk about Max Scherzer. Now, but hold, on, but hold 50, on.
1: And he's still. And oh, I'm sorry. 20 years ago, he did this shit and he's still right now the same age as James Fritz.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's a comedian in front of ours, everybody. Uh, yeah, I know, and then that, that's nuts. That is nuts. He's only he's forty. He did that at twenty. Twenty strikeouts at twenty. That's has any. Here's a fun thing for you. Any other pitchers strike out their age?
1: Oh shit! I mean, how old was Clemens in '86 if he was born in '62?
0: No, he was older. Clemens played college ball too, so he was
1: older than that. Randy Johnson in '97, I'm guessing, was older than nineteen. Yeah, and then. Uh, I mean, you're just gonna,
0: uh, you're not gonna get it. Should I just tell you? Has anybody? Yes. One other person?
1: One other person struck out their age. Almost, you could almost argue he's kind of more impressive. Fuck. So the dude is what, 18? I'll tell you. I'll just tell you.
0: 17 strikeouts by a 17 year old Bob Feller.
1: Oh, you know what? I'm looking at Bob Feller's name on this list. The heater from Van Meter, baby.
0: But no one's going to think, oh, he must have been 17 when he did that. That's incredible. To strike out 17 at the age of 17. That, that's what a, fin- a phenom Bob Fowler was. Oh, that he was <laughs> touching major league baseball
1: at 17. That's a dude who got ruined by World War II. Yes. It, it's that's true, yeah. But what an arm. I mean, he's featured
0: uh, heavily in the movie Fastball. In the documentary <laughs> Fastball. To I, I would shoot out. I watched a second time. Come on. I told you I finally watched the end and I got it. I'm like, oh, yeah, wonder, wonderful. They did a good job. You know, these people make documentaries know how to leave some fun stuff for the end. Otherwise, it's just, okay, cool. That pretty much the same thing.
1: 80 team. minutes. The 2003 Cubs team, Kerry Wood was their third best pitcher that year. Was he statistically a war-related? I think that uh, Zambrano's rocking like a five war that year. Yeah, and then uh, I think prior, I'm not looking at it in front of me, had a 7-8, which is the greatest Cubs war pitching season of my life. I mean, that's better than Arietta. anything Maddox did.
0: Is there really now?
1: I mean, let me go to.
0: Hold on, I'll look it up, I'll look it up. Um, talk about, look, look I, you mentioned Max Scherzer, and I wanted to mention Max Scherzer because I was looking up other Carrie Wood games. Actually, you should look it up because I can talk while okay. you do that. See, we don't have a producer, people, it's in our ear going, don't worry, I'll do this, and I'll let you know what's up, like they do in sports radio. Yep. Carrie Wood, though, I, so I remember they said Max Scherzer striking out 15 and six and two thirds is the most amount of strikeouts for that few innings, and I remember Carrie Wood having something really sick, because I remember being mad at the time because I was too young to realize pitch counts. Terry Wood in the 2001 season, I believe it was 2001. I have to double check. I have it saved on my phone. You see it was 2001 or happened in 98. No, it was 2001. Positive. No, 2001. Struck out 14 guys in six innings. Dang. He had a start where he only went six and struck out
1: 14. Was there a game in 2016 where Scherzer was facing the Cubs where he struck out like the first 12 batters or something? It
0: was something close, like 10 out of 12 or whatever. Something unbelievable.
1: 2003, Pryor had a 7-8 war. Dombrano had a 4-7, and Kerry Wood had a 4-2. That's incredible. In 98, Kerry Wood had a 4-4. So he's, I mean, his FIP and ERA are in the threes, but strikeouts per nine, it's... 12.58. 12.58. That dude was putting up an average of 12Ks a game.
0: Oh, boy.
1: That's a lot of strikeouts. Uh, well, what kills uh, his war? His his high walk total? Um, It's looking... I mean... 269 BAPIP. Damn. Yeah, so...
0: Are you on Fangraphs? I'm on Fangraphs for 2003.
1: Oh, two, I'm on 98. I'll go to 2003.
0: Oh, yes. I'm on 2003. Yeah, prior 7-8 war then Brown of 4-7, Kerry Wood 4.2, Clement 2.9. Kerry
1: Wood had a had an insanely low BAPIP even in 98.
0: Kerry was rookie season. When you think about it, he struck out 233 batters in 166 innings, which I think, that yeah, that 12.6 K rate, or strikeouts per nine, wasn't that the record for a starter for a while?
1: Uh, that I'm not sure about, but I don't... I look that like, up. So his ERA, so people, if they connected off him, Hit a home run or what?
0: Basically, yeah. Look at this. I'm looking at home runs per nine in 2003, for example. I just have 2003 in front of me. He had one home, one point oh two home run per nine. So he gave up some home runs. Like Zembrano had three more innings. Zembrano was the inning leader that year. Prior to 211 innings, I, I thought Zembrano. I thought was
1: underrated that year.
0: He very much was.
1: And so, I mean, Clement's not terrible.
0: No, Clement, they had four guys with over 200 innings pitched. Three, Clement, Wood, and Zambrano, all 32 starts each, prior 30 uh, starts. But, man, a 7.8 war, that is incredible for a pitcher. Is that, are pitchers touching that around these days? Was are up around 7 last seven year? 7
1: wars? Uh, yeah. Let me go to 17.
0: I know hitters are around 7. I think Altuve and, and, and Mookie Betts and... Um, Judge and uh, trout were on the seven. Well, trout year.
1: had a seven like going injured half the season.
0: Yeah. he's, he's Dale and
1: Kluber were in the sevens.
0: You and I are gonna start this campaign. We're gonna do viral videos. I decided I'm already calling them viral before they even. We're gonna made
1: make it. viral videos.
0: Of why of how we're gonna make Mike Trout a household name. Because he is not a household name. He's not. You ask the average person they don't know who Mike is. You ask the
1: is. average person in LA they don't know him.
0: That's that's an embarrassment. Uh, That's an embarrassment to Major League Baseball about how terrible they are at promoting their stars.
1: I don't know if that's an Orange County, LA thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I
0: no because there there have been uh, the Dodgers have had stars that people know. I mean, you know, we talked about that documentary last year, Fernando Mania. They've had sensations. They've had stars that people get all hyped up for. I don't know why Mike Trout. Maybe you know he's kind of a quiet guy. I guess he's not. Not a guy that you see in interviews. He doesn't make headlines for things he says off the field, like Bryce Harper does.
1: Did the average North Side Chicago person know who Frank Thomas was in '93? Yes. And this is bullshit.
0: I would, I would, I would 100% say yes because he won MVP that year. No, they definitely knew. If, I knew who Frank Thomas was, but I'm not average. But I guarantee you, the average did. The White Sox were good in '93 too. They won the AL West. Yeah, that, they had a great that, team. That's that that
1: that what I'm saying. Like. Mike Trout, does he need to go to the postseason? The postseason would
0: definitely help because I feel like that's the one time. The postseason like does America, and the all-star game to an extent. Does America know the Greek
1: freak from the Bucks? Like,
0: do, do people No, I don't think no, I don't think he's known because his name's complicated. And because it's Milwaukee's a smaller market. Anaheim is a small market, but I feel like when you are a guy who is everyone's like? This is Mickey Mantle. This is a guy that could be better than Mickey Mantle, even with the numbers he's putting up and the career path he's on. Is it's incredible to me that he should be on everything with the Major League Baseball? Should have Mike Trout's picture right next to it. The way the the NBA is by far the best at promoting their players. The NFL is pretty good at it too, but baseball has always been bad. By the way,
1: tweet it. Tweet at Me and Joe. Go up to your if you have a wife or a girlfriend or. A significant other in general but i i just want to say wife in or, in my head go up to her and go you know that mike trout is basically our generation's mickey mantle and just tell me their response
0: <laughs> yes <laughs> that. i, I want to do here's what we're going to do this is actually too good an idea i can't put i can't put it on the podcast i'll text it to you later okay I don't want someone else to take this idea. Sorry. I just, I just teased. I just cock teased everybody. I guess oh, I, got or, you, or I got you all hot and bothered. And now I'm not going to give re- the info
1: reaction videos.
0: Yes. <laughs> Thank you. But I got, I got a good, uh, I got a little plan here. Okay. So I, um, you know, just to wrap up the Carrie Wood talk, I'll, I'll go back into the documentary a little bit. And, you know, I wanted to commend other great pitchers too. And, and you, I'll, I'll wrap up with the documentary and then you'll go down the list of the top five greatest pitch games. And how I think they're all no hitters except for, Kerry Woods, which really, in the documentary, they have the Astros broadcast. They play a clip from that of Kerry, of uh, the one hit Ricky Gutierrez's hit, and Jim Deshays, who's the Cubs announcer now, he's the Cubs color guy, was the Astros color guy at that time. So kind of cool coincidence. Oh, that is. Cool. And he says, yeah, he says on the live broadcast, he goes, I think, I think that's an error. That's an error. But they gave Ricky Gutierrez a hit. And if that was an error, then it's a no-hitter with the 20 strikeouts. And it makes it a little bit more impressive. Just a tad bit. It's still incredible, don't get me wrong. Yep. But it is funny, because they talked to Kevin Ory in the documentary, and he even was like, give me an error. Give me an error. I wanted to, an error. And there was even people holding up signs in the, in the, at Wrigley saying E5, which they... These people had markers on them, I guess, back then? I don't know. <laughs> I was making signs.
1: <laughs> I got... Okay. So, in order for me to explain how I'm, what I'm saying is the greatest uh, pitch games of all time, I need to probably explain game score.
0: Yes, yeah, explain game score. Game score is a stat. came up by Bill James.
1: It's a stat devised by Bill James that you start with a certain number of points, and you're deducted for walks, for home runs, for hits, for runs given up. But you're rewarded for every inning you go after the seventh. You can find the formula on baseball reference, I think. And <clears throat> basically, I'm going to say a 75 is good. Like, okay, an 80 is a masterpiece. You hear that like on ESPN all the time like, today so and so threw an absolute masterpiece. And I'll go look at the game score, and it'll be like 80. A 90 is like, holy fuck, and a 100 is top 10 games pitched of all time. And so a few people, just a handful of people, and I'm looking at this list, and it's not even updated, but I'm just going to run through uh, a few people that have a 100 game score. And so, let's see. Randy Johnson. Oh, this thing's all
0: fucked up. But okay, well, While you looked that up, give me one second here, just to put this in perspective for people listening. You're talking about like what is a good game score? Max Scherzer's line today: six in a third inning, five hits, one run, one earned,
1: two walks, fifteen strikeouts. I'm gonna guess it's around a seventy. Seventy six. So, and Kerry Wood is the
0: highest of all time—the twenty strikeout game at one hundred six, I believe. I think it's one hundred five. One hundred five, one hundred six. Yeah, that's a perfect game score. It'd be twenty-seven up, twenty-seven down, all strikeouts. Which was in that movie, um, *The Scout*, I think, <laughs> with the Steve Nebraska. I think his name was.
1: I mean, Matt Kane's perfect game was a uh, one hundred one, and he had sixteen Ks in that. Yeah. Sandy Koufax, uh, what did Koufax do? He threw a perfect game.
0: Oh, th- That guy you said is completely overrated? Yeah, Sandy Koufax.
1: I said his career, not his
0: I'm just giving you a hard time. Uh,
1: he th- uh, Perfect game, 14 Ks. Nolan Ryan had a no-hitter with two walks and 16 Ks for a 100. Mora Brandon Morrow was a starter eight years ago. One hit. He walked two and struck out seventeen. He got himself a one hundred.
0: I forgot about Brandon Morrow. I mean, I remember him being a starter, but I do not remember this game. And you had texted us uh, the group that the group weren't about at the Cubs. Yeah. And I was like, holy wow unreal because he does have some electric stuff i guess just couldn't put it together as a starter and now i'm gonna use that to bring it back to carrie wood because in the documentary we talk about the sad part because after they showed the 20 strike game and they show all these people just glowing going unbelievable then they show him on magazine covers how he exploded where his games were must watch tv people on the road were bringing the case signs, yeah and it was and he even said in his next start he only struck out 13 which actually is a record for back-to-back 33 k's and two starts and he said he was disappointed because even he was buying into it he goes i was kind of even getting into there i wanted to strike people out which probably kept his pitch count up higher which then did more damage on his arm and it was sad because everyone was like is this guy the next Roger clemens he's the next hall of famer he is if he's striking out 20 and 20 what's he gonna do when he's 25 and people are going on and on yeah. and this big kid from praxis and how electric his stuff was and the best stuff everyone's ever seen and every hitter who faced him was like this kid's unbelievable and then it just didn't work out, you know? And it's funny because uh, there's one... This wasn't in the documentary, but I read this from Jim Riggleman. He said he was worried about his pitch count, so he told himself he wouldn't let him go past 135. <laughs> oh, my God. Isn't that insane how different things are now, 20 years later? If uh, a manager of let a rookie, a 20-year-old, in his fifth major league start go to 135, he'd be fired before the last out was recorded. By the way, that
1: list that I gave you was on a website... That had not been updated since 2013. In 2015, Max Scherzer pitched two 100 game score games. He is unbelievable. He's the
0: you know I think we all got into the Kershaw mania, but it's clear that Max Scherzer is the game's best pitcher, and it has probably been for three years now.
1: He's underrated.
0: He's very underrated. I don't know why he's got a he's got the weird eye thing.
1: Three. Dude, okay, so he had he had a complete game, no hitter, with no walks, and 17 Ks for a 104 game score, making it the second greatest pitched game of all time.
0: Yeah, Max Scherzer is what Kerry Wood could have been if he had decent mechanics and
1: is- didn't have a
0: high school coach. You know this too, Kerry Wood pitched both games of a doubleheader for the high school championship.
1: Oh my God!
0: Yeah, that's another thing. And the, and the Cubs were furious at their <laughs> high school coach because they just drafted Wood before the the championship, so how he was their property.
1: Of Mark Pryor and Kerry Wood, and have it both bust on them.
0: That's just you know that was this thing we used to believe in where there, we have to be cursed. Well, how else do you explain it?
1: Yeah, man. You that's, know they have both of those guys who should have been like. I, I mean, guess, all
0: Fame's a big thing, but you think multiple all stars. Yeah, and and to make, only make two for Wood and one for Pryor, and and Pryor to some people's is even sadder. But I think Wood the thing. I mean,
1: it what was, kind of debate is Wood sadder thing? in Strasbourg,
0: it really was. But the difference was, I remember hating the Nationals for this, and I still think they could have gone about it different. The Nationals had a year, and I think it was in two thousand eleven, where yeah, because the Cardinals won the World Series that year. And I remember going, well, yeah, because they basically had a first round buy because the Nationals shut down their best pitcher with three weeks left in the season because they set a uh, innings count.
1: I and, I will never understand that. Like, what are you? So, what are you saving him for?
0: That's what I mean. They were saving him for another season. Where in my head, I'm like, it's all about winning at all. So you're just like get here. Yeah.
1: It's like when people don't use their turn signal and I'm like, why? And they're like, Oh, I'm trying to save it in case it goes out. Well, I'm like, well then if it goes out, you're, then you won't use it like you're not now. Yes. And so, except in this case, it's not dumb and it's worth millions and millions of dollars and the pride of your city and everything else in history.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, because to me like to win to win i mean yet granted you know people listening who are fans of other teams are like my team's won several world series in my lifetime but you know the cubs have won one in 108 years but to any fan it's all about winning you know you you got to win and you'll sacrifice a lot to get that ring like Glenn torres is off to an amazing start with the yankees i can't be mad because we got a ring out of that trade Yeah. You know, now if the Cubs don't win anything with Jose Quintana on our roster the next few years and Eloy Jimenez becomes a consistent MVP candidate, then yeah, I think I'll be a little upset about that trade, but I can't be mad about the Glen Bar Torres trade, even though Chapman almost blew it. We still wouldn't have won without him. Can't deny that we would not have won the world series without our oldest Chapman. And yeah, he's got the off field issues that are, are terrible. Um, I, I, I he's been quiet since then. So, and he's, we and he's still talked, the same woman. So whatever, but we,
1: talk, we talked about Chapman for the longest time, uh, as our, in our Cubs group and, and this is before me too. And everything it was, yeah, but there's some holes in that story. Oh, there absolutely are some
0: holes in that story. And the, and the reason I, well, first, you know, I think it's good to have your default setting to believe in the woman, which, which is totally of, true.
1: All of us in that group did absolutely. We all
0: did. But you know names, but there are two two Hispanic um, comedians we know uh, who are both, you know, they're on the right side of history, these dudes. So, like, they're good guys. And both of us, both of them had told me, yeah, I don't think white people get Hispanic people. Um, there's there's a good chance that that's all just drama. And that's just how, you know, he, <laughs> he was saying if every time the cops called when Hispanic people were yelling at each other, that we'd be suspended from every sport. Like he was just like, that's just a different, culturally. that's it's a
1: different, uh, temperature that they run, they run at.
0: Yeah. It's a different culture <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. He goes, I've, I've seen it firsthand where it's like, did you just hit me? He's like, I didn't do anything near you. What the hell are you talking about? And then it's like, they're, they're just that when they're they're passionate people. And when they, the temperature, you know, gets hot and the blood's boiling, they will say, I'm not saying he actually did do this. I I, I don't think he did. I think, I think it was one of those things where maybe he bumped her. I, this is so bad because I'm coming off like a like a like a jerk right now. But
1: I know you're right. There was a lot of
0: holes in the story. There was there was the TMZ Sports is one of those things where you're thinking it's TMZ. Who are they? But they broke the Ray Rice story. Remember when Ray Rice knocked out his fiance in the elevator? And they were the ones that unleashed that unleashed released that footage, and and they've been pretty consistent for. It's weird that TMZ has become a better source of journalism than so many other places that should be known for being accurate and consistent. Anyhow, they had a picture of her neck that the police took that night. Yeah. I don't know how they get, they always get this stuff. They must pay people off. They must be, they must say to a cop, you only make 60 grand a year. I'll give you 20 grand right now. Give me those footage, you know, give me those photos. And there was not a single mark on her. That's the thing. And then she later said I was lying because he pissed me off and I wanted to hurt him. And it's one of those things where it's like people say, oh, she's lying now. And I'm like, well, it's if your defect, if your default setting is to believe women, I'm going to believe her when she says he choked me. And then I'm going to believe her when he says, no, he didn't. I hate because I believe women. right? Yeah,
1: there's some when I found out that he choked her and that was what it was. And then they showed her picture and she looked unchoked. But that's just a. Casual observer, she could have been wearing makeup or doing anything, and
0: it'd be weird to put makeup on for a police photo of your that they're specifically taken for your neck. The photos out there, people, you guys could Google it. So it's from her chin down. You know, I
1: I, my default was to believe her, and my default is to think, yeah, that guy's a piece of trash. However, holes in the story, Rajai Davis home run, fuck, (laughs) fucking, fuck you anyway. Yeah,
0: I know, right? But it's weird. His teammates love him. A guy like Chris Bryant, who I think is the most character in baseball next to Anthony Rizzo. Remember in the when he was like teary-eyed talking to Tom Verducci after the Cubs won the whole thing. Yeah. He said, "Chapman works his ass off. He's a great guy. Like he's a good guy." So it was weird, you know, kind of like ah. Uh. I think the Cubs were happy, not happy, but like I think Theo was like, "I'm not giving this guy ninety million with that history." It took a lot out of me to even justify the trade. Yeah. If you read Tom Berducci's book, The Cubs Way, there's a whole chapter about them going back and forth about going for Chapman. And, and part of the trade, before the trade was final, uh, Epstein and Ricketts had to talk to Chapman. They had like a one on one meeting with him before they made the trade final, which I didn't, the press did not know about. This was something special to the book where they were like, we need to talk to this guy. We need to give a uh. sense of, of, you know, because they probably thought if we sit down and talk to him and we smell bullshit, we're not pulling our. We're not pulling a trigger on this trade. Isn't
1: there a thing in there too about Tommy Listella's bat? How he tricked Rizzo or some shit?
0: No, uh, you mean Matt Caesar?
1: Oh, it was Caesar. I knew. Okay,
0: remember? So Rizzo people said that he was using Matt Matt Caesar's bat, but because they were the same size, they weren't Caesar's bat was smaller. And Rizzo switched to a smaller bat because he was tired. It was the end of the season, and the smaller bat actually helped him swing faster. And he was and then he turned it around. Remember, he had a terrible series against San Francisco and the first two games against LA, he was awful. And then like game three or game four, he just ignited and hit like a couple home runs in a row and became Rizzo again. And that was because he switched to a letter bat, but he didn't want pitchers knowing that, you know, he, he didn't want to give that information away, which was smart on his end.
1: I I think Tom Verducci is the best baseball writer.
0: Yeah, I'm a big fan. You know, I didn't like him as much early on. I think he wrote one article early, like, not. I mean, early on, I'm talking about like, early on into my baseball sure you know life, I guess. I don't know. Like this was probably like in the ninety eight season. Maybe he wrote something about Soaps I didn't love, but maybe he turned out to be right. Who knows? I was young. But no, he's great. You're right. He's great. He really he digs deep. He asks the right questions. He doesn't insult his readers. You know, sometimes you're reading this stuff where it's now you're insulting my intelligence a little bit there. You're dumbing it down for a wider audience, which I get. I get you got to do that a little bit. Totally cool with that. Like you know, I remember you and I talking about this a year or two ago saying why do they st- still have the same traditional stats. They should throw some of the new stats on there, too. And some of them are. Like, the Cubs broadcast now will say, batting average, home runs, RBIs, OPS. You know, they're starting to throw it's that stuff in there, which is good. It's
1: still slow, I guess. But, anyway, and Verducci goes on uh Brian Kenny show and still isn't buying the advanced stats. And, like, you watch, like, Ken Rosenthal goes on there and doesn't buy the advanced stats. And you-
0: I'm cool with questioning them because when you question them and it only only perfects the other side's argument. Yeah. And, you know, so I'm I'm OK with that. There's there's a couple things here and there I've mentioned, you know, we get into it. You know, the whole kill the air stat that we talked about last week on the podcast. I I, I agree with I'd say probably the vast majority of it.
1: I think it's worth having the conversation with all this stuff.
0: Oh, all of it. Yeah. Because I mean, it's, it's fun too.
1: Most people I know who are baseball fans are on board. But uh, I I mean, like, I've had people reach out to me and say that they appreciate when we talk, when we kind of explain and make the stats less scary for people, you know?
0: Yes. Yeah. Because don't be afraid of them. I mean, I, I get it because, yeah, well, I, like, what, someone, someone an art in the guy this...
1: was donkey. You can learn what other stuff is. I love you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and like we were saying before, like you mentioned, like if a pitcher wins twenty games, obviously you're very good. You're, 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 you're typically people who win twenty games are awesome. Although I remember two thousand three Atlanta Braves,
1: Russ Ortiz, I believe his name was. He also pitched for the Giants. Yeah, that's him.
0: He he won like twenty two games, but had like a four and a half ERA. Right,
1: with like, because you're getting run support. He
0: got tons of run support and had a solid bullpen who held those leads. And I remember it was funny because. Uh, Tim Kurjen had a tweet going back to Kerry Wood about how amazing that start was, and you know how how incredible and how everyone around baseball who'd faced him. Oh, I'd even mention this in that game where he had 14 strikeouts in six innings. They'd faced the Giants. Mm. Uh, Barry Bonds was 0 for 2 with two Ks and two hit by pitches. (laughs) 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 He got beaten twice, but he also struck him out. And I remember when I remember that specifically. That's why I went back to look up the game log when they're talking about Max Scherzer. And how incredible he is. By the way, I'm looking at Max Scherzer's numbers is, right now. He already has a 1-7 war. He did a 6 war last year. Uh, so he averages about a 6 war the last 5 years. Uh, I mean, I know the Tigers can afford him. How dumb were the Diamondbacks trading him early on and giving up on him? What, this, Yeah, Max Scherzer is, is a special pitcher.
1: What year was what year was Barry Bonds, did he strike out twice against Kerry Wood?
0: 2001, and I think he was going for... Oh, shit. I think he had have been going for his 500th home run at the time. Or maybe 600 at the time. I think he was going for 600. Yeah, I think he was going for 600, and I remember it was a big thing because prior the next day had a great game where he shut down Bonds, too. In and that's what was fun. No, it wasn't 2001. I'm sorry, it was 2003? Still. I think it was 2003. Still, Because I remember Wood, Wood threw... He got jacked up. He threw 99-99 and then broke off that nasty hook, and it froze Bonds. Bonds swung and missed at both 99s because they, they, they had some jump to him, you know? And... And Bonds could hit anybody's fastball inside. Do you remember him? was, it, I think, Randy Johnson, which is lefty on lefty, threw, like, 101 inside. And, or, no, it was Gagne. Gagne threw, which is righty, so it's a little different. But Gagne threw, like, 100 inside. Like, like so inside, I can't even believe Bonds even offered, because Bonds had such a great concept of the strike zone. Even when he was coming up, that guy had great command. He was walking 100 times a year when he was 22, 23. Yeah. And he blasted it into the bay. Bla- like, he hit it, like... Like it was a ninety mile an hour put out like fat pitch that was grooved for just for him to hit it out of the park. Dude,
1: Eric Gagne, wow, did you pull that one out? I haven't thought about him in a while.
0: I know well he's a steroid guy, but he was fun to watch. The Dodgers, uh, I remember watching my I had I think a, one of my uncles went to uh, LA for like business or something and went to a Dodger game. And luckily Gagne did come out and get a save because he was saying he was sitting next to someone who was, had only recently moved to L.A., so wasn't really a Dodger fan. He said, these fans are unbelievable. They come in the third, yeah. and they, if, if, it, if they have too big a lead and they know Gagne isn't coming in, they're leaving. Because they left early anyway, but, but when Gagne got so big, they would stick around and watch Gagne because it was like a rock concert he would enter to welcome to the jungle and the scoreboard would flash game over. That's amazing. It- Isn't that cool? Like as you're closing, walking in, it's saying game over. If I'm the hitter on the end deck circle, I'm like, fuck this guy. I'm going to shut these fans up right now. And he was that good. We had 99 consecutive saves or something. In 2003,
1: he was the man. I think they gave him the Cy Young. I believe you're right. Yes, they believe did. you right. Over fucking prior.
0: Yeah. So I wanted to touch on this though. So Carrie Wood, I, 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 we, I got sidetracked a little there. Struck out, you know, bonds, he's striking out all these great, um, hitters and all this stuff, but here's another stupid baseball statistic thing. Uh, you know, Tim courage, you know, named a bunch of stats and said, and all the hitter, all the best hitters in baseball thought he was the best, had the best stuff too. And bonds was one of them because he struck out bonds a couple of times. I remember bond saying something like, Oh, that, that guy's got unreal stuff. So. There was people on Twitter commenting, and one person said, yeah, never won more than, never won 15 games, though. Like, what a bust. And never won, I remember going, like, never won 15 games. But even the year in 2003 when he won 14 games, I was such a dire Wood fan there. I remember counting eight games that the bullpen blew for him. Specifically, like, the leads into the ninth inning. Antonio Fonseca made a habit out of going, oh, who pitched today, Kerry Wood? Cool, I'm going to give up four runs right here. And that just shows where the win-loss stat and and we're not taking away from people who win twenty. We're not taking away from people who you know win a lot of games. We're just saying it's not. It's it's such a it's a team stat, and people need to recognize that. That's why I was glad Fields Hernandez won the Cy Young the year. He only won thirteen games because so he was the best pitcher in baseball that year.
1: Kerry Wood wasn't good because his team didn't score more runs than the other team.
0: Yeah, basically, that's it's it's it still bothers me that the ever because then you bring it up. I'm in one Facebook group with uh, Cubs fans, and, and, and most of them are pretty great. But I remember one guy saying something stupid like, "I want Castro back." He's hitting 320, 680 or no, I think he's, no, his OPS jumped up a little, but it's like seven hundred and forty OPS. How could- which, don't get me wrong, seven hundred and forty OPS for a second baseman, okay? If you if you have great defense, which we know Castro's defense is slightly above average at second, it was below average at shortstop. But again, how do you? why Why are you saying that? And then just look at the batting average. So you look at the batting average, but you're not looking at the rest? How is That That doesn't tell you the whole picture. And we're, That's what we're trying to tell you. But there's more that you're not seeing.
1: How come nobody ever goes, Kevin Kiermaier is not that good of a fielder? Because look how bad the Rays are.
0: Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Same Fielding is just... Thing. People underrate defense in all sports. You'll hear people say defense wins championships, but nobody <laughs> talks about defense. Nobody cares about defense. They don't. It's it's such a stat like that in the NBA, especially people don't. I mean, they play defense a little bit more in the playoffs now. And I, I look, I love LeBron James. I'm not a LeBron James hater at all. But that dude did not play defense at all this entire regular season. <laughs> he didn't. He just didn't. The Chaos were ranked 29th in defense, and I only noticed that because I was I was just looking at his season because I I was looking at LeBron James's season. I know we're talking about basketball right now, but it, it made me think of Barry Bonds. Jason Hayward just made one of the Holy shit, you fucking jerk-off. Sorry. I'm just commenting on a game that I have on right now. Unreal. That was such a stupid play. I didn't. Alright, so anyway, I was looking at LeBron James because he's in his age 33 season, and it was statistically his maybe his best offensive season. One of his best offensive seasons. Right up there. Like, his best offensive season in about four or five years. Defensively, no, not at all. It was a really bad defensive season, actually. But offensively, he was unbelievable. And I'm thinking to myself at 33, how is he how did he go up? How are his numbers better the last four years? And I'm thinking is he taking steroids? I'm putting this out on a baseball podcast. LeBron James might be on roids. He's going to he's getting a second prime like Barry Bonds
1: did. I think I saw a headline on 538 that said what LeBron James is doing is impossible.
0: It it is. It feels impossible.
1: That's gonna. But the steroids in bad.
0: But I looked at Michael Jordan's age 33 season and it was pretty damn incredible. Jordan at age 33 was the first. It was the year the Bulls won 72. Yeah. And he, averaged, he scored 30 points a game, won the scoring title, won MVP, was third in steals with over two a game, which LeBron James has never had over two a game as an average. And, and put up like a pretty, in, his player efficiency rating, which is kind of like new basketball sabermetrics type stuff was actually higher than LeBron's was this past year. LeBron's had, LeBron has way more assists and rebounds because he's just a different type of player in that sense. He, when you're when you take the ball up, you end up down low, so you get more boards. And you know, I'm not taking again, I'm not taking anything from LeBron, but I don't think people realize that the per 100 possession stats, which is another kind of advanced stat in basketball, which I like because the game has way more possessions now because people are taking more three pointers now. So it's when they should be taking more three pointers, it makes sense. I kind of like that basketball was like this shot's worth three, right? That shot's worth two, right? Why don't we take more of this shot? Because even if we only, you know, I don't know. I'm kind of into that. I might have to do a whole separate basketball. Podcast no, I like
1: when I like when people bring like uh, sabermetric type thinking into sports. One of my favorite episodes of Real Sports with Brian Gumbel ever was this crazy ass high school football coach who never punted and always onside kicked. Yes, and
0: I remember that one too. That was incredible.
1: And they did an update on him, and it, you know how like when. They throw like sometimes they'll throw a Hail Mary into the end zone and sometimes they'll try to do some insane like rugby laterals down the field. Yeah, they do that every play.
0: Wow. Do they really? That's fun. I want to watch their high. I remember watching that, but I don't remember that part of it.
1: Like the guy's theory is like if you're trying to win in desperation, you go for it. You on sides kick and you do this crazy shit. So why not just do it?
0: You know, maybe I'm. I might be remembering this one. Maybe it was something one of my cousins suggested or something. We we're talking about how it would be fun if there was a team that ran the two minute drill the whole game, right? But you know, they're saying you'd get you'd, you'd burn out your players. Right. But it'd be fun at a high school level where you have like a quarterback controversy situation and you just rotate your quarterbacks out. If you have two really good quarterbacks, yeah. You know that'd be kind of something interesting. You know, how, like a lot of NFL teams now have to ha- you have to have two good running backs. Yeah, yeah. No, r- very rarely do they have one running back who carries the ball thirty-five times anymore. It just doesn't work that way.
1: So you're saying you want to have, have two quarterback teams that runs constant? Yeah, I like it.
0: That'd be exciting as hell. I would be surprised. You know, there's a lot of quarterbacks that are kind of average. That's most of the league. There's only a handful of elite quarterbacks. So why not take these two average quarterbacks? You'd save yourself some money. Put all the rest of your money into an offensive line, and and then just run, rotate them out. Run two minute drill all day. You'll burn out the defense. The other team wouldn't be able to keep up. That'd be that'd be a really fun thing to see. I w- we just save football.
1: I th- I wonder if what this happened in like 1900 when someone's like. You know, at the end of the game, like when you know that you only have like one or two innings left, you start throwing harder. What if you tried that at the beginning of the game?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was going to say this about Strasburg. You just reminded me of the point I wanted to make before the year they, I mean, yeah, you're right. Strasburg, you know, if the Cubs would have handled Pryor and Wood the way the nationals did, maybe he would have had a longer career or, you know, think about Brandon Morrow. I think about Kerry Wood. What if they would... Because remember, he had a resurgence as a closer. Yeah. He was an all-star as a starter in 03 and then all-star as a closer in 08 where he was great. And he really was awesome in the bullpen. And he had this great stretch with the Yankees after he went to Cleveland and the Cleveland traded him to New York where he had like a 0-6-9 ERA the last two, two and a half months. And I guess Marion Rivera taught him the cutter, and he was using that a little bit. If he would have became a closer after like the 2000... Because remember, he came out from Tommy John surgery, but was still hurt all the time. If they would have finally said after like 03... We're putting you in the bullpen. The starting experiment is over. He might have. He might still be. Nah, I mean, would still be pitching, but he might have lasted a lot longer. Maybe gotten another three, four seasons. Yeah, a couple more All Star appearances, a few more bucks in the pocket. He's
1: another one of those pitchers. I think maybe the first pitcher that taught me that relief pitchers were failed starters. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's really typically what it is. You don't. Nobody. Nobody grows up. Going, you know what I want to be? I want to be a six-inning relief guy. That's what I want to be. I, I, you know what I, I mean?
1: I, he and John Smoltz, and I guess you could just point to Matt Harvey.
0: Harvey might have a resurgence. It's crazy what's happened to him. But he might have a resurgence as a, close, or as, a as a relief pitcher down the road. Andrew Miller came no, into the no, league as a starter.
1: The bets let him go.
0: I know, but I'm saying some team might pick him up. Someone's going to give him a minor league contract. Uh, Come on, right? That's what I mean by that. I get that he's a dick.
1: Yeah, he's got some... Actually,
0: I have a female friend that banged him, actually. Matt Harvey? Yeah.
1: The Dark Knight?
0: Yep, she banged him when he was good.
1: You have a... F- and he hasn't been good the since. The Dark Knight? Yep. Do I know her?
0: Um, She's in comedy. I'm not going to say her name, obviously, but wow. I'll I'll text to you later. I don't know if you've met her,
1: that but... Is- I want that text.
0: I will give you that text. Yeah, I don't think you know her, know her, but does she... she-
1: but Matt Harvey knows her, knows her.
0: Mm, yeah he does
1: the dark night mm-hmm.
0: she said he was a little wild in the strike zone if you know what i'm talking about
1: whoa the dark Knight rises
0: <laughs>
1: all right um yeah we wrapped up the Kerry wood
0: talk uh, just you know great stuff Well, always uh, i'll always be a big fan of he's part of four cub playoff teams which is incredible and um you know had some big moments a guy was always it was a knack for some big moments there i'll, I'll share the link for the facebook documentary Right now, um, oh, I didn't finish the point about Strasbourg again. Good lord. Oh, we gotta get organized sometimes. I feel like we uh we start some cool stuff, and then by being the idiots that we are, we get a little sidetracked, but we always get we get ourselves back on a message. I wondered this the year they announced they were like we knew all season long we were gonna shut Strasbourg down when he hit this inning mark or whatever. Why not start him in May then? Because it was a lie. Because it was a okay, that's a good point, though. But I, I've I've thought about that. I also thought about when in 2015, when the Cubs starters got tired in that Mets series, and it was obvious with Jake Arrieta because he pitched 60 mornings than he ever pitched, I get that. And you don't you don't know that's coming. You don't know a guy's going to go from 170 innings or 180 innings tops to go to 230. Understand all that, right? But I do wonder going into seasons when they think to themselves because the Cubs in 2016 were they they realized that, so they really didn't let their pitchers go deep the first few months of the season. They were they kept a watchful eye. Um, And even last year, they started to do, like, they would do, no, it was even in 2016. Well, it helped in 2016 that they won the division by, like, 40 games. I'm exaggerating, of course. Um, But I think the Astros even kind of did this last year, too, where they would have, like, a bullpen day. Or they would just go, you know what, we're going to do a six-man starter. You know? Um, I
1: just think that the Nationals ran up against, like, they realized it was happening they knew that they had to do damage control they probably hoped that they didn't make the fucking playoffs and then when it they had to do it they had to make that decision somebody had to go out there and be go out there and be fucking Sean Spicer Huckabee Sanders and fucking lie about it <laughs>
0: Yeah, you're right. I, d- I definitely think they were, they were screwed on that, but it, it is it is funny though. I f- I feel like there's been some players since then where they're like, we're going to shut him down when he hit this mark. And for a rebuilding team, I get that. Uh, a team did that not too long ago where they're like, yeah, we're not going to have him pitch anymore. What's the point? We're 30 games out and we're rebuilding. I totally understand that. Yeah, like the White Sox who are in a big rebuild, and you know you think about other teams that are in rebuilds. If they got you know, the Marlins have a young stud right now. a name I forget. I was just looking at his numbers earlier though. I could see them come, you know, late August, early September, just saying, "Yeah, shut it down. What's the point?" But the Nationals, I mean, maybe they were surprised by how good they were doing that year, and kind of caught themselves, like the hand in the cookie jar. I just always thought to myself, like, if if you if you knew that, if they were, you're right, they're lying. If they did know that at the beginning of the year, I think, why not back them up then? Because isn't it, you want them to get pitched into the playoffs? But then again, we've talked about this before. The games in April count too. So yeah. But I feel like it's almost because baseball is a marathon. I think teams do experiment a little bit more in April. You're trying to figure it out a little bit. You got the, you know, it's it's colder. Hitters are a little more inconsistent. How often do you see a guy? You know, like it's rare that hitters will have a 10 home run April, right? You know, because it's colder. The conditions suck. You're you're getting into your groove, but you'll you'll see it all the time where guys will have put 12, 13, 14 home runs up in June or July. I mean, I mean, those are huge months. Don't get me wrong; I'm not like saying, "Oh, that's uh, not that great," but it happens.
1: I feel like Bryce Harper always hits ten home runs in April. Just
0: he's a big April hitter. He loves April.
1: Until he runs into a wall or something.
0: But Stanton isn't good in April. No, nope. he finished April with six. Yeah, and that's at Yankee Stadium, which is a bandbox for a guy like him.
1: We haven't talked about them recently.
0: Oh, they've been on fire. Yeah, their the games are unbelievable.
1: They're way better than I thought they were. <sighs>
0: They just brought up a kid today who looked like he had great stuff. He had a no-hitter going deep. Glendart Torres looks yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Didi looks incredible. I mean, I, I still don't That's think he's going to sustain stop. that.
1: I said that yeah. whole 2016 season about Daniel Murphy, and it never stopped. So Didi could have a career year this year.
0: The difference, though, is Didi is still young. Where Daniel Murphy, at age 30, 31, puts up a career year in 2015 with the Mets. Then in 2016 with the Nationals was what second or third in MVP voting I think be, you know behind Bryant and hey, dude, Go, Votto or someone He and had
1: a really good argument for MVP
0: Yeah no he put up a great argument for MVP I think what Bryant what edged out Bryant was uh base running uh Bryant had defense a higher,
1: Bryant had a higher war Daniel Murphy is not a strong swimmer at second
0: No he is not there is he's, he's weak in that field um and he's a dick <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, he's he's dick, and, so.
1: and he's a homophobe.
0: Yeah, that's that's part of it.
1: And whereas Chris Bryant will make you gay, that's a weird fact.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is, it's those eyes. You get lost in them like an ocean. I'm <laughs> quoting you, Chris Bryant uh, fan right there. I, uh, I
1: shared an article that you uh, wrote a couple years
0: ago after Ichiro became the all time hits leader. It was announced by the Seattle Mariners that Ichiro will be moving to a front office role. They're doing a whole thing where they're like, we're not saying he's retired. He could come back next year possibly for the Tokyo series, which I think they'll do as a stunt. Um, And then he'll drop the hat and be officially done with Major League Baseball because next year the Seattle Mariners will open their season in Tokyo, which is something that uh, baseball has done a little bit. The Dodgers and Padres are are in Mexico right now. Cleveland and um, another team were in Puerto Rico a week or so ago. I kind of like that, reaching out to the international market. Why not? I'm a fan, especially in those – Every country I'm naming are, are huge baseball fans.
1: They're doing London too, right?
0: Yeah, which is going to be crazy. Because the NFL has been trying to tap into that market. I'm surprised baseball's not going to try to do something in China. Because, you know, Chinese, Japanese, same thing. Why not go over there and get those guys playing baseball? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> okay, I'm clearly fucking around. Um, I mean, I'm serious. Go to China. But when I said that there no, was the a the
1: whole movie about India with John Hamm. That's right. No one puts that. Out,
0: you can play cricket. Cricket, you got to have a launch angle with the cricket swing.
1: No one put million dollar arm or whatever the fuck on their list.
0: No, I don't, I never saw that movie and I didn't really want to. Was it any good? Did you see it? No. No, I, I don't care. Um, but. Oh, each. What was I going to say? Each so row. Sorry, I want to talk about each row. So everyone check that. Out. I tweeted that out already. Uh, Brado's article after uh, he became the, all, the he became the planet's all-time hit leader is how I phrased it, because Pete Rose, of course, is the MLB all-time hit leader, but could you combine his Japanese hits with the uh, major league hits and all that? But I will say this, and it really made me look into Ichiro's stats deeply. If Ichiro would have started his career in the, in the
1: majors, he would have passed Pete Rose, I believe. This is such bull- bullshit, and I hate it when people do this. Ichiro started an 18-year-old at an eighteen-year-old, at a hundred and twenty-four pounds, what fucking major league team is going to pull up an eighteen-year-old to the majors, especially one that weighs a hundred and twenty-four pounds?
0: How much did he weigh at age twenty-two or age twenty-three?
1: I don't know, but he was. But they're not bringing up Vlad... Why? Why? Why did I
0: didn't say they should bring him up at eighteen? Yeah, I will. If I can't. I don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but I remember at the time doing a side-by-side comparison, and I think Ichiro was about 1,000, about 1,100 hits behind. Now, Ichiro, at the age of 28, was Rookie of the Year in MVP and had 236 hits or something, and then a couple of years later had the hit record at 262, I believe, breaking Kevin Seitzer's record of 257. His MVP is a joke. Giambi was robbed. Giambi should have won, but that was again before people really looked at sabermetrics type stuff. And but still, it was still an incredible year. We forget though too. I, I got to give some. You got to give some points to leadoff hitters in a different vein, and and your position. Giambi's playing first base where there's a ton of good first basemen. Where Ichiro was a right fielder. at the time there weren't a lot of good right fielders. It was him or Vladimir Guerrero in the American League. Right. You know, earlier when I mentioned Castro having a 740 OPS, if Castro's OPS is like 780. That at, at, at shortstop or second base, that is above league average for your position. Now, 780 OPS at first base is not good. Right. A 780 OPS middle infield, good, because it's, it's a position that has more of a burden defensively. Yeah. I, I do agree with you. The MVP was bullshit. The rookie of the year, of course, he should have been. But then you could argue, is he really a rookie? He's 28 and he's been playing professional yep. ball for a long time. Rookie. So, both things you could argue doesn't take away the fact that he is first bailed Hall of Famer and was an, a, a tremendous baseball player and a very exciting one and a guy I loved watching because he played the game with joy.
1: I, I, I'm i coming across like I hate Ichiro or something.
0: No, you clearly do, and you have never forgiven <laughs> them for Pearl Harbor, and I understand that. you um, got to understand Ichiro was not there at the time, okay?
1: <laughs> I, I mean, they're sneaky. No, uh, I love Ichiro. I just don't think a major league team... Listen, he won seven batting titles in Japan. He could have come to the majors and broken Pete Rose's record. I, 100- I think
0: it would have been close, because I think if you're hitting 240 hits at the age of 28, I'm thinking if you come up even at 23, 22, 23, and obviously you're not good right away, but you're good for 100, 150 hits, and I gotta imagine by the two seasons before, age 26, 27, he's still over 200 hits. I was, I was giving him an average of close to 200 hits. For an extra five seasons, which I think is actually fair.
1: Well, you got to realize that before him, there were not Japanese-born position players, as in non-pitchers, in the major leagues. So they had no fucking idea other than basing it on, like, Tuffy Rhodes going to Japan and breaking the home run record.
0: So, oh, totally. I mean, there was guys like uh, Matt Merton, who was uh, a Cub player that I remember thinking, oh, he's got some promise, Yeah, and then kind of faded away. He went to Japan and was a star for a while, and yeah. there's, there's other guys. But since then, Japanese baseball has... I'm not going to say it's caught up. It's definitely not as good as the majors, but it's definitely better than AAA, where I think for a while there, I think even at the time of Ichiro coming in in 2001, they probably believed the J- Japanese league was the equivalent of maybe A even, right?
1: Right, but I mean, so... They ha- they don't know what this dude is gonna do. No, I get that. I get that. Plus I was just doing for fantasy swing, purposes, you know? His swing was weird in Japan. Like yeah. he got drafted in the fourth round in Japan because people were like, I don't know what to do with this dude's fucking weird ass swing.
0: Like which so many Japanese hitters that have made the majors since then have be- um have been brought over have a similar swing. Shohei Otani has a very similar swing to Ichiro with more launch angle, though, of course.
1: Yeah, I mean... If you look
0: at it, though, he kind of has that thing where his, his, you know, it's almost like he's, as he's finishing his swing, he's two steps out of the batter's box.
1: I mean, it'd be like if in 17 years we were talking about how no one had any idea how good Otani would be. You
0: know... He, I, I know, I was doing more of, like, a fun what-if, like, yeah, you yeah. know... I'm saying if he if you come in at 28 and you have 240 hits, what would you have averaged if you'd come up at the age of a typical Major League rookie? Now, of course, at 18 and 124 pounds, yeah, he's not making the majors. And, of course, Major League, you know, he was the first of, you know, of, of Japanese position players. So, yeah, of course, I get all that. I was just kind of throwing it out there because it's fun.
1: Nomo had come, but also he has said that he wasn't mentally ready to do it. Like, he didn't want to be away from home. like
0: that- I get that. That's a new culture, new language. It's a whole lot. Um, the sushi's not quite as good.
1: In Orange County, that. it is. And where? Orange County, the Japan. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. Look at that call back to the beginning of the podcast.
1: All right. Well, Albert
0: Poole is also 3,000 hits. It's a big milestone um, from this week. Three, over 3,000 hits, over 600 home runs. That's incredible. Who's Miguel next? Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera is about 210 hits away.
1: I want you to take a look at the players with 1,500 hits or more and the youngest person on there, Nick Marcakis.
0: And he's got to be about 30, 31, right?
1: He's like 32.
0: 32, okay.
1: Look at that and you're like, dang, he could get 3,000 hits.
0: Huh. Marcakis is off to a good start, actually. Atlanta Braves, damn. How about them?
1: I was just going to remind you that two years ago on this very podcast, I said that they could be like the young ahead of their time team and I was two years off, so I apologize.
0: That's amazing. But they, they've got athletes. Every every one of these young players I've I'm seeing out of them. I'm like, this guy is an athlete.
1: But are you buying that National League East standings right now?
0: No. No, I'm not. I think it's the that's why that's why I kind of feel like we've been doing these fun topics for the podcast to dive into. Like like, you know, we did a whole thing with Babe Ruth. Yeah, yeah. We talked about launch angle. We've done some, you know, certain stats we're breaking down. Should we kill the air? Um, because it's so early, I don't want to get to you know, every other baseball show right now, they're covering the standings for you week to week. Right. I want to give people who listen to us a little something different. Well so uh oh, maybe I'm... as we're getting into May and the sample size isn't as small. Then, yes, we'll start to ask, are these people for real? Uh, What's going on here? Right now, the AL Central has the Indians leading and they're exactly 500. And the White Sox are at the bottom and they have a 289 win percentage. I mean, the AL Central is a joke of a division right now. Sorry, our White Sox fan friends who listen to Dylan Brown and all that. You guys are rebuilding, you want to lose. You know what I mean? Obviously, you want to see improvement, though. You want to lose, but you want your young studs to look awesome. You don't care what James Shields does. You want to see Yoam Mankata take the next step, right?
1: Well, James Shields wasn't he throwing some fire? He had like he actually was
0: has been eating some innings for them, which is really what they want. And you actually want actually, I take that back. You want him to do well so you can trade him and try to get some sort of prospect back, because all you want to do is accumulate as much talent as possible. Uh, but yeah, there's some teams right now that are off to hot starts where I'm not quite buying into it yet. Like, uh, and there's some teams off to bad starts I'm not quite buying into yet.
1: Well, speaking of which, and I will tie this in, and then you can close it or do what you need to.
0: Yeah, because we got to wrap it up because I think my battery's going to die soon.
1: Now that the Dodgers are basically dead in the water, I might even predict that Mike Trout could finally get some eyeballs out here in the Japan of America.
0: I mean, he should. We, we know that. I, and Shohei Otani's been such a... I think the Angels are probably getting a lot of attention early on. And the fact that you and I are talking about Mike Trey. he had a 525-foot home run the other day, which was incredible. I and mean, I think he did another bob, He's got 12. Uh, if the Angels keep winning, people will talk about him. And you're right; the, the attention will shift from the Dodgers to the Angels/Clippers. slash And um, like, the Pujols had 3,000 hits. I mean, they've got a lot of there's a lot
1: to talk about in Anaheim right now. Look at what happened in Chicago in 2005. I saw more White Sox jerseys on the north side than ever before or since.
0: I know. It's just, there's so many bandwagon jumpers. I've, every city has them, too.
1: Well, I mean, as long as people are like baseball, I'm not angry at them.
0: I'm not either. I'm not either. I mean, I, I'm sure at the time I was annoyed by it. But, yeah, anything that's good for baseball. I talked about it on my other podcast, which you guys could listen to, Kilgallen's Pub. It's on iTunes. And that's a podcast where I just sit down and drink with people. When I come visit L.A. or you come visit Chicago, I'm having you on that podcast, Brido. And oh, we talk about everything okay. on there. What's that now?
1: I'll bring a hitter.
0: Yeah, man, do it. We'll get, we'll get nuts with it. I, uh, I mentioned how I root for all comedy shows because a rising tide lifts all boats. I feel the same way as a baseball fan. I want anything baseball related to be great. Cause I want, you know, I want more eyes on the sport because then I have more people to talk about it with. And I just, I think baseball is the best. So, uh, I think that's a good spot to end the podcast on. Uh, yeah. Pool holes, but the six hundred, three thousand hits, incredible. The contract over in the long haul, they're probably going to regret, but, You know, you have two first ballot Hall of Famers who had big decisions made um, this week with Ichiro semi-retiring and Pujols uh, joining an exclusive club where I think there's only 27 members of now.
1: Didn't they both start in 2001?
0: They did. They absolutely did. Good call about it. I think Pujols probably will stick around for another three. Well, he'll probably play at the length of the contract. Why wouldn't he? You're making all that money. It's guaranteed. Unless his body just breaks down to the point where he's like, forget it. It's- Which apparently apparently, his body is the same as uh, President Trump's. <laughs> Six three two thirty eight. Both of them. Weird. How different those two things look alike, you know?
1: I hope no scandal ever happens to the guy who tried to tell us that.
0: Yeah, yeah that'd be bad news. Uh, he might turn up on the East River.
1: All right, Brido, anything you want to plug this week, my man? Hey. You guys want to go to Silver Lake Lounge on Saturday? Or Hey, uh, my album's on iTunes. I'm on The Things. Thank you for listening. And tweet tweet at us and tell me what your wife said when you about told Mike her Trout. Mike Trout was the new Mickey Mantle.
0: Yeah, I want to hear that from you guys. And we're going to get more into talking about the divisions and what's happening in today's current baseball. Um, it's it's some exciting stuff going on right now uh, because there's a big free agent class coming up. And Kershaw just won the DL. But then you have Josh Donaldson who just came back from the DL. I'm always interested in players in their contract years. And maybe we could go over the history of people who had amazing contract years and then became bust because I'm sure that's a pattern too. Uh, anyhow, so, but you know, oh, early <laughs> in the season, I don't, we don't like getting too excited. And plus, you could hear that
1: anywhere. So we want to talk about the fun stuff with you. Sometime, write this down. We should talk about the Bobby Bonilla Mets contract,
0: which, by the way, I think Bobby Bonilla is a genius for. That'll be the tease. <laughs> we will get into that contract. He is an he- absolute genius for Uh, All right. I'm Joe Kilgallen. You can find my website, joekilgown.com. Check out my podcast. Uh, Write us a review on iTunes. It goes a long way. We really do appreciate that. And thank you for listening to Comedians Talking Baseball.